Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are in the midst of a series during this season of Lent that we are calling Hunger and Thirst. And our idea in this, usually uh, most of the time around here, if you've been around, we usually are opening up a a book of the Bible, we're studying context and history and trying to discern how God would have us apply it to our lives today. This series is more thematic than what we usually do, meaning that we're picking passages and topics that allow us to lean into that sense of longing, that hunger and thirst that we feel during the season of Lent. Lent is the season in the church calendar that happens every year where we just sit in the 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday and we allow ourselves to feel that longing for a Savior, a Savior that can satisfy in a way that nothing else can satisfy that deepest hunger and thirst. It's beyond a wish or a hope. Hunger and thirst makes us feel the the sort of the embodied tactile need, like this I can't not have it in a different way than just a wish. It's a deeper need. It must be satisfied. And so in Lent, what we do is intentionally we don't jump ahead to resurrection glory for Easter Sunday. We want to allow ourselves to really feel that longing and that ache, that need for fulfillment, and that makes the fulfillment of Resurrection Sunday even more rich. Only Christ can satisfy this need within us and within our humanity. And so we've been looking at biblical themes that sort of uh, surround this idea of our hunger and our thirst. As Sam mentioned, a group of us just got back from a trip to Guatemala. And uh, so I spent this last week, most of this last week, with one of our uh, global partners there in Guatemala. And of course, also all this week, I've been knowing that that Brad and Claire were going to be here from Partners Relief and Development and the important work that they're doing. So there's been a lot on my heart and in my mind this week getting ready for today and this topic that we were going to talk about. And so I'm going to just tell you up front, we're going to cover a lot of scripture. We're going to kind of be all over the place scripture-wise today. But even with all of this on my heart and mind, I want to be clear where we're headed up front so that it doesn't seem scattered. What we're talking about today is an invitation given by God to freely eat, to freely eat, an invitation to eat from what we sometimes would refer to as table fellowship. But today we're talking about expanding that beyond our four walls. So um, you know what, I'm just going to pray and then we're going to get started. So God, I just thank you for the whirlwind of amazingness that has been this whole week. Um, just the, the, the clips of the videos that we saw this morning, the clips of life in Guatemala that I experienced this week. And I just trust God that you're going to take all of these things that are in our hearts and our minds that are stirring and that you will bring some clarity and your intentions um, to us today. Open our hearts and our minds for you, Holy Spirit. We honor your presence as we are here gathered in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So to make this case on why we're talking about freely eating, I'm going all the way back to the beginning. We're going to Genesis 2. We're going to start out at the beginning. So I'm going to start in Genesis 2.8, but I'm reading out of the NLT version, which is a different version, but still feel free to read in your pew Bibles if you want. Genesis is in the very beginning of the book. Genesis 2, starting in 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, 
and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the, no and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Moving forward to 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. Now, I cannot unpack the fullness of the creation narrative in this moment, but I'm going to point out a few key things, and I'm going to back this up to the cultural moment of the people of God and how they were understanding their own existence. So different cultures in the ancient Near East who would have been neighbors to the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they also had creation narratives of their own, reasons that they could make sense of their existence in the world in life of the deities that they followed. Many of those creation narratives understood that they were brought into existence to basically be, these are my words, not theirs, but kind of like the gods needed minions. They needed people to serve or to be pawns in the game of the different deities, wars, and things like that. So there were other narratives that were going around, but this is what I want us to notice. The people of God came to understand the character of Yahweh. Yahweh was the unique name given to the God that we now call our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Yahweh was their personal name of the one true God. And they knew all these other stories that, they, that these were false gods. They were uh, worshiping statues or whatever else. They knew their one true God and they knew the character of the one true God, Yahweh. So as they knew the character of Yahweh and the relational nature of that triune God of Yahweh, they knew that their creation narrative had stemmed from something altogether different. People had been created out of an overflow of love, not a shortage of anything or a need for a minion or any need whatsoever. People were created from an overflow and the world was created from an overflow of love and creativity and delight and People in particular were made to reflect God's own character right here on earth. And so they came to understand this. Genesis 1:26, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So here's the key takeaway from this short version of observing our creation narrative here, okay? We are made to reflect God's image. It's that like God is saying, reflect my image in the world. Be blessed. You hear this language of like abundance and overflow. Be blessed and steward this earth. Govern it. 
right? Reign over it. It was the words that sometimes people use as be like vice regents on behalf of God. Be the ones who represent God in stewarding all of the goodness that I, God, just created. I now give to you to steward this well. And in this moment, if we go back one slide, within this garden that's coming from abundance and creativity and flourishing in life, God says, freely eat freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden. Now at the center of this garden, um, I sometimes do a plug for Bible, uh, the Bible Project. I think they're amazing. Um, they have themes. We'll do much better than my little snippet here, free online. Look up the theme of Tree of Life and it'll explain this better. But here's what we want to see in our mind's eye, okay? We're, we all have our good imaginations on. In the center of this abundant, bountiful, flourishing garden, there is a tree of life. God and humans are living together in harmony and in in, uh, just like shalom, uh, abundant peace, right? And in the center of this garden is this tree representing God's own life and power at the center. And the people are invited even to eat of that tree. That is a source tree. Come freely eat of everything in this, this whole garden. It is for you. But then there is this tree that is the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the really quick version, this is not the main point, but I want us to understand it. The tree, this, the, when, we, when we grab from that tree, that one that we're not supposed to eat of, it's our way of taking a grab and saying, I want to know for myself. I want to be the one who distinguishes. I want to be the, my own God, so to speak. So it's basically saying, taking authority to do what is good or to know what is good or evil in my own eyes. And that's like a grab at being our own God, okay? So that's that tree. But every other tree, you guys, the invitation I want us to hear, freely eat of this bounty. Eat from the garden, including the very source of God's presence and life. But we know how the story goes and something breaks, right? We know that humans take a grab to decide good and evil for themselves. This is an overly simplistic summary, but for our points here, we see therefore a break in God's intention that there would be complete flourishing for all the earth, all creation, all creatures, and the equity of everyone freely eating is broken in that moment. But we hear the original invitation that we would freely eat. And then since this moment happens and that that power grab is taken from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then we see in Genesis 3 that the work in this flourishing place becomes toil. The relationship between the co-workers, the male and female, this is beyond marriage, the co-laborers becomes fractured and they're at enmity even with one another, right? So we see these things become strife. Now, I know this is continuing to be oversimplistic, but when we see this equal flourishing broken, we then see the next step. Okay, so that's the reality. I'm skipping away from that big story, sorry too quickly, but to get to where we're going. Look at the next step in the Bible. What do we see next? It's broken. What does God do? God creates law. 
that will help the inequity of those who cannot as freely eat. God makes laws that say, let people glean from the edges of your field without charging them. Don't plow the edges. People who are hungry need that food. And so God is then making laws that would say, okay, equality of flourishing has been broken. Make sure you take care of those who have hunger and thirst because not everybody can as freely eat anymore. Now, if you've been here again from time to time, you know that I cheat just a little bit and I give you a side sermon. This is one of those moments. So we're leaving our sermon for just a moment. We will come back. Side sermon. I am so convicted more and more lately that the stewardship of this earth is something that Christians need to be talking about a whole lot more. We have been called to tend and watch over this earth. When I was in college, I went to University of Michigan and I bought a pair of Birkenstocks and my sister started teasing me that I was becoming a tree hugger. And at the time I thought that that was like an insult and now I just wanna hug the trees. And I'm not very good at being a tree hugger, but I do wanna say this part, you guys. I was talking recently with my friend, Julie. She was saying that, um, her conviction during her uh, undergraduate work was that all of the world religions that follow Yahweh, there are multiple of us, all of those faith people who follow this creative God that we just talked about in the Garden of Eden, we should be at the forefront of any conversation about our world's environment and what it is that we're doing to it. And I just am convicted that she is so right. So much of the inequity in the world's access to food comes from the fact that our human selfishness or ignorance, my own included, my ignorance, has done so much damage to this earth. We do not replenish the soil after we use it. We do not, uh, we take disproportionate resources to create one kind of food while destroying the habitat of local people who are trying to make food just to survive so that my strawberry is Instagrammable, there's something really twisted in what we're doing to our earth. I was reading, as I mentioned before, A.J. Swoboda's Subversive Sabbath, and he goes into this whole section. He studies the, the impact of not Sabbath resting rhythms on creatures, on this earth, on the soil, on livestock, all of it. We can do a better job to create uh, rest and replenishment for the land, including the work that we're doing in damaging this earth. We're just, we're not doing our best job tending this earth. We can make better choices to make sure that everyone can freely eat. And the disproportionate access to food, it, you guys, that's everyone's problem, according to the garden. It's everyone's problem if somebody cannot freely eat. And we need to have a God-centric view of this biblical stewardship of our earth and of one another, everyone flourishing. I have a ton of work to do here, and I want us to be openly talking about what we collectively can be doing better in this category. That's the end of that sermon. I'm going to go back to the original one. But just so you know, we're all learning together, and I want us to keep on talking about that stuff because it really, really matters. Okay, original eating freely sermon. Okay, so 
even with this brokenness, brokenness, even in the fact that we knew that this, this everyone freely eating had been broken, God makes a couple of beautiful promises using this same imagery in, through the prophet Isaiah. I'm going to read a couple of these, and I want you guys to just like absorb it and listen, but do it as someone who doesn't have free access in the reality of your life. Like Get that imagination on. What does this promise feel like if you don't have the ability to freely eat of the bounty of God's creation. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come take your choice of wine or milk. It is all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast. This is future promised language for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. In all of this language of satisfying the deepest hunger and thirst, what is my point? God will restore the invitation, the promise that everyone will freely eat. God will provide that way, and God will provide the feast. But where are we when the promise has not yet all been fulfilled? And in this, we look to Jesus. In ushering in kingdom purposes, what do we see in Jesus's version of freely eating? Jesus's version of table fellowship. The word table fellowship is not actually seen in the gospel. It's just the words that we use that uh, describe this, this posture of inviting to freely eat at the table. I think of um, Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan's table. All are welcome to eat freely at Aslan's table. That's the image I have in my brain. So what is it that this table fellowship that we learn through Jesus? The fact is, is that Jesus's version of inviting towards table fellowship was scandalous because he allowed sinners as well as the righteous to come. And he accepted them at the table. Does not mean he accepted their behavior, but he accepted them. And he would tell them, I am here for you. It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but it is the sick. Come, this is for you. I've made this way for you. So Jesus's opponents believed that eating with sinners was just like the worst thing you could do. But in fact, Jesus says, I am here for them. Jesus is calling the people who have been excluded from the community of God back into communion with God and, and implicitly in the table fellowship, not only with God, but with one another. That's an important part of table fellowship. And we also see his um, elevation of table fellowship in so many of his parables, right? When Jesus is using a parable, it's like a, a, it's like a, a story to represent a bigger spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. And he gives examples that have to do with eating freely at feasts, right? He talks about banquets. He says, when you're invited to a banquet, don't take 
take the best seat, take the lowly seat, so you'll be lifted up to a better place of honor. He knew the social norms. He talked about who to invite. He said, when you're preparing your guest list, make sure to invite people who cannot repay you in a world of quid pro quo in social standing, who you would invite. He's like, no, 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 no. Make sure you exactly invite those who could never pay you back rather than those who could. And then there's this moment where we hear a parable of um, somebody who has prepared a huge banquet and invited guests and the guests all start making excuses. And what does the master of the house says? say in Luke 14? He says, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges. Urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Open the doors so that everyone can freely eat. So that's this kind of tone that we're hearing in the world of Jesus and all the way back to the garden, Jesus reflecting the desire of God, come freely eat of all of it. And it was the invitation Jesus offered. And right back at the garden, remember, what was at the center? That source, that very tree of life at the center? I love the language that Jesus uses to remind us that the source now in relationship because God's very presence is here in Jesus. So what's the source? Remain tethered to the source of all life and flourishing again. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is the language of source again, right? It's food language. It's source. Stay tethered to the source of all of this abundance and life and flourishing. And I'm here. I'm offering it all to you. And this is the language of garden flourishing, of eating freely. So we remain in the place that we were Excuse me. I think I'm going to cough again, Aaron. Can you mute me? Genesis 3, right? We're called to be stewards of this invitation of all that all should come and freely eat from this source of life and goodness. We're still in that place. And that's the place where Jesus is still calling us today. So, I was a little all over the place with all of the passages, but here's what I want us to think before we get back to the one that Kelly originally read for us. Jesus has called us to be people who are opening table fellowship so that all can freely eat. That mirrors the invitation that Yahweh offered in the garden, that all should freely eat from the abundance that God has created. Every single week, Jesus calls us to remember that we are participants in this invitation to table fellowship, into this welcoming posture of all being welcome. This is why we celebrate and honor communion every single week. It's a representative of this table fellowship that all can come because of Christ Jesus. His body and blood has made a way for everyone to come and freely eat of this life source. And that's what we talk about every single week when we're um, engaging with communion. 
The idea is that whether it's at the communion table or in our own lives together, that we would be people who would say everyone deserves this flourishing. Everything has been given freely so that all in table fellowship could enjoy the richness that God is giving us and the way that we are getting through Christ. So here we circle around to today, to what Kelly was reading earlier, in light of this freely eating, this table fellowship for everyone. This is something that we then saw after the time of Jesus's demonstration. We now see through the Holy Spirit acting through the community of faith, they're living it out, you guys. And did you hear in that passage, like nobody had need. They were making sure that everybody had what they needed. There was no inequity in who was able to eat and enjoy freely eating at their table fellowship, in their community. They made sure. This glimpse of table fellowship was a reminder how our actual lives together, our actions matter in undoing the iniquity that came at the moment of the fall. Our actions in our lives together are active participants in how we reflect the heart of God, the character of God, our God-given mandate all the way back from Genesis 2 to reflect God here on earth. This is what happens in our life together. This offer of Christ to open the table to all. Christ did the work. We're just setting a table. Christ did the work that is the part that matters, right? And so now sinner and righteous, Jew and Gentile, all can come together. And this is where Kelly read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate freely together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were saved. So Jesus, we see sharing table with sinners and friends alike, breaking social norms and creating a place of abundance, provision, welcome to all who would come. So Jesus made this way for all to be welcome at this table. And then we move on to Acts and we see people actually living it out. They were joining together because of the body of Christ and they were sharing in ways that reflected eating freely for everyone. So what is my point? When they were gathered together, when they were welcoming and sharing, they were making sure that no one had need. And when I think about this posture, one of the things that we talk a lot about, uh, talk about a lot around here is hospitality, right? That's another name, making the space for all to feel welcome. And I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's important. And to be honest with you, when I was first thinking about this sermon series and where we were going and talking about the, the hunger and the thirst, my thought was really this call is about hospitality, to make the space for what God has already done through Christ to be available to everyone. But then I decided also on my calendar that we we would be hosting uh, the, the team from Partners Relief and Development and look at the work that they're doing and that we would be on the calendar. I didn't know going to Guatemala this week. I didn't know when I thought about this. And I was like, I need an altogether different view of hospitality for this morning because that's what God has put on my heart. First of all, hospitality in our homes. I think this crew from the homes that I've been in, we're pretty good at this part. When I go to somebody's home, I mean, it's my personal goal that I will be able to make some version of a charcuterie board in any given 
moment if you stop by. It may be a little dumpier some days than others, but there will be something in our home that can make a makeshift charcuterie if you stop by. But when I go into homes, I am given cups of coffee and um, a cozy place to sit, maybe a little snack, and like hospitality, you guys, Pretty much, I think you guys are good at it. If you're not, like maybe that's for you to consider. It's like, who, who am I just supposed to show a welcoming face to? And that's, that's a good thing to consider. Here in our church, I think that we are continuing to grow in our posture of hospitality. When someone comes in, we've got a team, our hospitality team. Some of them are working behind the scenes. They're brewing coffee. They're breaking the bread. They're doing the things behind the scenes that make everything run smoothly. There's others, and we need more who are here specifically to say welcome to our home, to meet someone sitting alone, to give a welcoming uh, conversation to somebody who might feel a little out of place. Our hospitality here as a church is really beautiful and growing, and you can join that team. That would be a good thing for you to do. You can do that. But what was on my heart now is like, wait a minute. How do I even wrap my brain about what it looks like, this call to table fellowship in parts of the world that my body is never going to be at, most likely. The places that were shown on that video. I, I can't be there. Sometimes I begrudge my, my app, my news app. I think you're just, you're inundating me with all of the news of the world and I can't do anything. I can't be there. And studies show sometimes we're not even meant to carry so much trauma all the time for the whole world. And I see that and I feel that. But the fact of the matter is once that little device opened up our world to us, they are all part of our table fellowship. People who are halfway around this world where we may never ever meet them. We can have charcuterie for the person who comes in our front door, but what do we do in response to freely eat invitation to people who we aren't going to be in the same room as? Because the conviction on my heart this week is that we still have a tug on our heart that this table is so much more expansive even than our city of Chicago. But there are many, many times when our hospitality here, it's like an exercise, right? You guys, let's exercise it in our living rooms. Let's exercise it Sunday mornings when people come in. But gosh, that's waiting for someone to make an awfully long trip to get into the four walls of 1242. What does table fellowship look like if we're having a posture to say, God, expand my heart to see where table fellowship needs to happen in places where I may never be able to offer my cheese tray? There's so much that we can give and do in prayer, in petition to the people and the agencies that are making these cycles of injustice, but definitely in prayer and petition to our God. And definitely, definitely taking the resources that we've been giving in the spot that we live right now with our charcuterie boards for one another, but also how can we share those resources in the world around us. This last week, we had the honor of being welcomed to so many different tables in Guatemala. Yeah, some of them were restaurants, but some of them were in homes. One was in a, we found out, probably contaminated building, and we brought the pollo compero, but they provided the table. And it was such a lovely meal. It was such a lovely meal, but we can't all go to all the places. The best part of that meal, you guys, was hearing the stories at that table. And I was really struggling because I do not speak Spanish, but Rachel was just going like this, and I was like, there is 
is such a bond happening right now. And the girls were just loving being heard and being known. They were showing pictures of their babies. And it was just really, really beautiful that we got to be at that table. How many tables can we not physically be at, but how can we still impact those spaces? How can we impact spaces that are war-torn and uh, hurt by earthquakes? How can we try to say, God, I can't even wrap my brain around how I can help to make table fellowship in those spaces, but God's imagination is so much greater than our own. So what I want us to do this morning is to just be open that this, these little marks of hospitality, yes, you guys, practicing hospitality, practice it in this space. Be part of welcoming. If you're here, if you call this your home, your church home, then this means this place is your home. Be welcoming as part of our hospitality culture to people who come. But this morning, I want to push us further. I want to push us to say that stuff that we see in our apps that feels so overwhelming, we can't even see straight. There might be a place where God is calling us to impact those who are not freely eating and to be a part of the answer that God would be providing in and through us to those who need to remember that God's provision, creativity, bounty, and flourishing really is for everyone. And someday, you guys, someday that will be fulfilled. But for now, how can we participate in the waiting? How can we partner? How can we be uh, prayerful? How can we be generous in places that need to know the bounty and the love of God that is represented through his invitation? Come, eat freely of this garden of flourishing. My heart for you is thriving. How can we demonstrate that to others? I'm leaving it as a question mark because that's what's going through my brain after this amazing week that we've just had. I don't know the answer for me, I don't know the answer for you, but each week in this series, we've been intentionally having a pause in a meditative posture um, before our response to, um, to press into a certain topic. We're calling it leaning into our longing. And today what I want is I want our hunger and thirst to be an honest, open question of God, where could I demonstrate table fellowship halfway around this world? I don't know the answer. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to ask God that. So what I'm going to ask you to do now, and this part, I'm just trusting God and making it up as I go. I do not want to write anything out. So here's what we're going to do. Wherever you are right now, take a minute and just take a deep breath because I just talked a lot. So I'm going to take a deep breath because I just talked a lot. Maybe just move your body a little bit to just refine yourself in your seat. And if you're willing, just open up your hands. God, we come before you now, every individual in this room, knowing and trusting that you um, invite us to big and beautiful things, sometimes beyond what we could ask or imagine. And maybe today, that's just to have a heart that is broken, like the lyrics say, break our heart for what breaks yours. Maybe we just need to have our gaze lifted up beyond our borders to be carrying before you in prayer and in tenderness of heart and compassion, people partway around the world. Right now, God, even as we don't necessarily know what to do to open up a table fellowship halfway around the world, I just... Um, 
I posture us now to collectively pray for the men and the women who are there setting the table, who are there pouring out the food and taking inventory and um, meeting the lines of children who are in need, the people who are um, listening and responding to the desperation that they see all around them. God, now as we sit here, we pray blessing over them. We pray protection. We pray endurance. We pray that they would know you, that they would be fueled, Lord Jesus, by you as the source so that they will not come to the end of their own ability because you are just streams of life-giving water that can satisfy them as they pour out on your behalf. We pray blessing over them. And Lord, we also just pray that you would give us a heart to take in the images and the needs and not just turn an eye, but instead to ask the honest question, Lord Jesus, how can we help to set the table part way even around the world in ways that make kingdom impact in our prayers, in our generosity, in our travel, in our uh, platforms, uh, in sharing the needs of others. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. That's a hard prayer sometimes to pray. My heart aches. Our hearts ache when we pray that prayer, but we choose it, Lord, and we come to you in prayer and petition that you will guide us as we continue to just cry out, come, Lord Jesus, make those images from Isaiah come true. Come, Lord Jesus, make all that is wrong right again. Undo the iniquity. Undo the disproportionate hunger. And God, while we wait and while we cry out, help us to know how we can be your hands and feet, the salt and light, as we wait, as we wait in our own hunger and longing for more of you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We continue to give this time to you and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to talk to our hearts, to ignite our minds for the things that you have for us, both individually and collectively. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.